So we are on the Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 3, Chapter 21, Conversations Between Manu and Kardama, which it's not only conversation. Right now it's conversations between Kardama Muni and the Lord. It began with Manu and Kardama, but it's, it's progressed from there. And, and also, yes, between the discussions between the Lord. And we're on um, text number 16. <clears throat> and it's a very, very interesting uh, section that we're studying. Thank you very much. Um, you got your diploma? Good. Did you frame it? Did you send it to your professors? No. <laughs> Put it on uh, Facebook? Um, yeah, these, ne these next two verses are very uh, interesting. We're going to have a discussion on them in some depth. Because here in 16, the translation and the purport might indicate um, a lower stage of spiritual progress is being suggested. And then the next verse, a higher stage. So, which one's which? Okay. Oh my Lord, so this is who's speaking? Kardamamuni. You are the master and leader of all living entities. Under your direction, all conditioned souls as if bound by rope, are constantly engaged in satisfying their desires. Following them, O embodiment of religion, I also bear oblations for you who are eternal time. And we're going to be hearing about a time in a few verses from now as well. Srila Prabhupada writes, Vedic literatures like Sri Ishupanishad direct that since everything belongs to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, one should not encroach upon another's property, but should enjoy one's individual allotment. Um, that's a concept that's fairly foreign to Americans, <laughs> although people in other countries could probably relate to it more so than in America. Mm -hmm. um, that everyone has a quota and we shouldn't, in, you know, the whole idea of the American dream, it has a, it has a subscript because if, if you reach the American dream, that usually means at the expense of someone else not. Because there's only so much wealth, there's only so much prosperity. Mm. So here, uh, although it's such a curse word in America, um, unless you're a Bernie Sanders follower, uh, yeah, you know, a more socialistic... Actually, Krishna consciousness has um, anarchy in one sense, not totally, but somewhat anarchy on the Brahminical platform. Brahmins are meant to be uh, independently thoughtful. Not that they're anarchists because they follow the scriptures. And then monarchy amongst uh, the Chachyas. And then um, capitalism or consumerism amongst the Vaishyas. And then communism uh, amongst the Sudras. So it kind of embodies a bunch of different... Uh, but here, um, we know that verse, that one should take what one needs and not take more than one, we, one needs, knowing well to whom everything belongs. So we have spiritual communism in that sense. 
that everything belongs to the, not the state, but to the Lord. Yeah. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, the, the scriptures, uh, the Bible says, right? We come to the world with nothing and we leave the world with nothing. And in between, we think we possess so many things. Um, so the devotee takes that this next step. So when they possess something, they do it on behalf of or in the service of the Lord. And then those possessions are not their downfall. Otherwise, atyahara prayashascha prajalpa niyamagraha. Atyahara prayas, over endeavoring for mundane things and over collect, collecting things in this world is a cause of spiritual challenge. Now, here comes the point though. A question may be raised. This is the second paragraph. Since Kardamamuni was advanced in spiritual life, why then did he not ask the Lord for liberation? Now, we spoke a little bit about this last week. Why did he want to enjoy material life in spite of his personally seeing and experiencing the Supreme Lord? A very valid question. The answer is, not, is that not everyone is competent to be liberated from material bondage. It is everyone's duty, therefore, to enjoy according to his present position, but under the direction of the Lord or the Vedas. So that, this language, let's read one more sentence. The Vedas are considered to be the direct words of the Lord. The Lord gives us the opportunity to enjoy material life as we want. This sounds like a great sentence, right? Actually, if you just take that half of the sentence, you could create a whole new philosophy. Right? If you just said, the Lord gives us the opportunity to enjoy material life as we want. End of class. Any questions? <laughs> right. And at the same time, he gives directions for the modes and processes of abiding by the Vedas so that, and this is a key word, gradually one could be elevated to liberation from material bondage. So if you get used to the language of the scriptures and of Srila Prabhupada's, you read this and you think, okay, he's talking about the standard Vedic process that we heard about in the Bhagavad Gita, the yoga ladder, uh, from a two-legged animal, no spirituality, to following the Karmakanda section of the Vedas, where, which is what basically is being described here, right, where you follow the Vedas uh, in order to get material enjoyment. And then above that is, is karma yoga, working for the Lord. Above that is jnana yoga, or understanding the difference between the body and the soul. And then above that is combining karma and jnana, and coming to buddhi yoga or bhakti yoga. So here he's talking about a lower level of, uh, of spirituality. Okay? that the conditioned souls who have come to the material world to fulfill their desires, to lord it over material nature, are bound by the laws of nature. The best course is to abide by the Vedic rules. That will help one to be, again, that word gradual, gradually elevated uh, to liberation. Okay, so we're hearing here about the gradual, not the fast, the gradual process of the Vedas, okay? Um, and that's tied in with, you know, so he's, so in one sense, Kardamamuni, you know, um, of course, we're going to hear he's, he's actually a devotee, of course, but the Vedic, this, the Vedic process is that gradual elevation that is mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita in the third chapter, especially the yoga ladder, 
Then the next verse, however, persons who have given up stereotyped worldly affairs, interesting word, and the beastly followers of these affairs. So the same thing that was just glorified, beastly, stereotyped. And who have taken shelter of the umbrella of your lotus feet by drinking the intoxicating nectar of your qualities and activities in discussions with one another can be freed from the primary necessities of the material body. So um, this is taking it to a much higher level. I say, okay, you know, just like Krishna explains so many different dharmas in the Bhagavad Gita, and then in chapter 18 he says, Sarva Dharman Parichagya. Okay, forget about it all and surrender unto me. Prabhupada writes in the first sentence, after describing the necessity of married life, Kardama Muni asserts that marriage and other social affairs are stereotype regulations for persons who are addicted to material sense enjoyment. Then a little later, such then talking about higher devotees, such devotees do not care for the conventions of material activities. They boldly take to that shelter, which is like an umbrella against the sun of repeated birth and death. Okay, so you see, so we have this, this juxtaposition here of the, uh, uh, the Vedic, pro Vedic in, in air quotes, Vedic process, and then the ultimate process of just taking shelter of the Supreme Personality of Godhead and giving up the stereotype regulations. So I thought about this and thought about, okay, how does this apply then to us as devotees or aspiring to How does this apply you know, in, in, um, to us in our devotional lives. So then I remember, I was thinking of the book called the uh, Madhurya Kadamani by Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur. And there he talks about um, Anishtita Bhajana Kriya. So Bhajan, we know what that word means, right? It means, you know, worship or practice of sadhana. Uh, kriya means the work, so the work of Bhajan we could say, the activities of bhajan. And anishtita means unsteady, right? Because we're kind of in the middle here. We're not, because we've read Prabhupada's books and we've associated with devotees and we've seen the beautiful form of Radha Madan Mohan, we're not just into, you know, getting uh, material elevation and just have a comfortable situation and have a nice car and a good job and a house by the sea and, you know, take a few trips to uh, Tahiti or whatever. You know, we, we know there's a lot more than that. But at the same time, we're struggling sometimes. So here, it's so nice. Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, who's a super elevated devotee, who writes so much about the pastimes of Sri Sri Radha and Krishna, here he's explaining the things that people on our level sometimes experience. So the first one, he mentions six kinds of unsteady Bhajana Kriya. The first one is called Utsaha Mayi. Utsaha means enthusiasm, right? And this is what he writes. A Brahmin child, having just begun study of the scriptures, thinks that he has immediately become a learned scholar worthy of everyone's praise. So we've done some bhakti and we think, oh man, this is a piece of cake, I got this. 
Similarly, a person just beginning devotional service may develop the audacity to think that he has mastered everything. He is called utsaha mayi, or filled, puffed up with enthusiasm. Okay, so anyone ever, you know, we, we get some happiness by chanting our rounds, or we make a nice donation to the, the deities, or we do some nice service, and, you know, we, you know we, we, the humility is not there yet. Right, the deeper realization. So that's Utsahamai. Any thoughts on that? I'll go through them one by one. Okay. Then the next one is called Aganatarala. Uh, the same child sometimes becomes diligent, diligently engaged in his studies, and yet at other times, become, because of inability to understand the scriptures and lack of real taste, becomes negligent. In the same way, a new devotee will sometimes practice the different activities of devotional service and sometimes neglect them. Being sometimes assiduous and other times negligent, his endeavor is called ganatarala, condensed and diluted, or thick and thin. So you ever had that experience? <laughs> sometimes it's just like, it's great, and other times, well, you know, football games are on. Or whatever. Okay, so that's that's the second one. They get more interesting. The next one, Vyudha uh, Vikalpa. Shall I just spend my life happily in family life? So this is like the first, the verse 16. Making my wife and children Krishna conscious and worshiping the Lord? Or should I give them all up and go to Vrindavan and perfect myself by engaging full time in hearing and chanting with no distractions? Shall I wait until the last stage after enjoying all sorts of pleasures when I have finally understood that the whole material world is simply a forest fire of affliction or should I renounce right now? Association with the opposite sex is the way of death like a blind well covered by grass. Those attachments are very difficult to give up. Beautiful wife, obedient sons, devoted friends and vast empire. Everything the heart desire, desires. Maharaj Bharata um, gave, them up, uh, gave them up even in his youth just as stool due to his attraction to the Lord. But then we know what happened to him later, right? He became attracted again. So I don't want that to happen to me, right? So having this, uh, you know, what should I, you know, what should I do? Some, some people, you know, uh, they'll, they'll start taking interest in Krishna consciousness. Like, oh, okay, I'll quit school. I'll get it, give up my job, and and you, and you think, okay, no, hold on, <laughs> right? That might be the good thing to do. It depends on your adhikar, your um, eligibility. Um, it's just like if someone is living in a temple in the ashram here, right, uh, but has a lot of material desires then it's, um, and let's say, they, so let's, let's say that person, they're living in the ashram, but they're not so strict, so they come to Mangalartik maybe three times a week, right? And the other times they sleep in. And then another person is living outside, has a job, and they go to Mangalartik three times a week. Imagine how you look at the two people differently, even though they're both coming to the morning program three times a week. You think, wow, this person's amazing. They have a full-time job, and they still come to the temple. Wow. What a lazy bum. <laughs> right. 
So um, it, it, we need to, um, we don't want to curb people's enthusiasm to take the next step and the next step and the next step and the next step in Krishna consciousness. Yet we do want it to be uh, done intelligently because we don't want to like go, you know, what are those racing cars like, you know, zero to 60 in three seconds and then we crash. Better to be, you know, steady. Yet it shouldn't be like, like a deadline, right? Like, <laughs> right? Like, uh, you know, it, it should be. Uh, so, but this is something that sometimes we, in our minds at least, we struggle with. I had a devotee just yesterday talk to me about, well, should they take a year off and quit their job and just get absorbed in living in the ashram and things like that? And we, we were discussing that. Okay, the next one, this is number four, I think, right? Vishaya Sangara. One whose heart is absorbed in materialism is far from obtaining devotion to Vishnu. Can a man by going east obtain something which is in the west? I guess if you go all the way around the world. Uh, understanding that material enjoyment is forcibly carrying him away and impairing his steadiness in serving Krishna, the devotee resolves to renounce his addictions and take shelter of the holy name. But many times his attempts at renunciation often end up in enjoying what he is trying to renounce. Such a person is exemplified in the Bhagavatam. Um, and we read that verse last week. I'll read it again. It's, uh, my devotee should remain happy and worship me with great faith and conviction. Even though he is sometimes engaged in sense enjoyment, my devotee knows that all sense gratification leads to a miserable result and he sincerely repents such activities. This ongoing battle with his previously acquired desires for sense pleasure, in which he sometimes meets with victory and sometimes with defeat, is called vishaya sangara, or struggling with sense pleasure. So that's number four. And now number five sounds similar. It's called niyama, niya, uh, niyamakshama. Then the devotee will resolve, from today I will chant such and such number of rounds of japa and will pay so many obeisances. I will also perform services for the devotees. <coughs> I will not talk on any subject except the Lord and I will give up all association with the people who talk on mundane matters. Though he makes such resolution every day, he is not always able to execute them. This is called niyamakshama or inability to follow rules. The previous one is the inability to give up sense enjoyment, whereas this one is the inability to improve his devotional service. Oh, how'd you find that? Google. Google. And then finally, the last one is Tarangarangani. Finally, it is well known that the very nature of bhakti is to be attractive, so all types of people become attracted to the devotee, the abode of bhakti. And as the old adage goes, by the attraction of the populace, one becomes wealthy. Bhakti produces much opportunity for material gain, worship, and position. Labha puja pratishta. These are weeds around the creeper of bhakti. Performing activities or seeking one's pleasure admits these weed-like facilities, which are but small waves in the ocean of bhakti, is called tarangarangani, delighting in material facilities. So... This is where we're kind of caught between the, the verse 16 and verse 17 that we just studied. Or is it 17 and 18? Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Um, 
and and it's fine and it's finding uh, gaining that maturity and making even if it's slow but steady progress is is one of the keys right and not to uh, go to different extremes actually there was a song once by Billy Joel so I don't know why I go to extremes too hot or too low there's no in-betweens <laughs> is the way the song goes but you know I mean maybe he's maybe he's even you know presenting a uh, psychological issues right mental health issues right what is that called uh, bipolar yeah um, but we want to avoid uh, that and remain steady in our bhakti and a lot of that has to do with getting really good guidance um, and also examining our nature because some of us by nature are by the modes of material nature that we've uh, become attracted to in this life due to our purva samskars our previous activities and mental some of us are more up and down kind of people and some of us are more slow and steady kind of people so also if we're more the up and down kind of person um, it's good to be self-reflective and acknowledge that and then deal with it because hmm. these are uh, I, I know many devotees when they read this chapter when this first came out Madhurya Kadamani they could really uh, find things in that in those six that they could relate to and that they've experienced so some thoughts on this So um, this last one, Tarangarangani, just yep. wanted to understand a little better if we have time. Uh, so it says um, these uh, pleasure-seeking opportunities, they are like weeds, they are like small waves in ocean of bhakti. So uh, delighting in material opportunities. So as we understand the creeper of bhakti, you know, we have to save it from the weeds. Mm -hmm. Yet it's mentioned, the mention is there that delighting. Uh, right. So we shouldn't delight. Shouldn't delight, right? Right. That's the idea. We should pull out those weeds. And it's a challenge. You know, everyone has challenges, right? So one of the challenges as we make, because these were actually, um, these six are in, in prog progressive. They're not just haphazard. They actually follow one after another. So as we become a more advanced devotee, then people offer our, us respects, right? That can go to our head, right? They can offer us uh, material facilities. You know, people give sannyasis donations, things like that, right? And and um, and so that those are a different kind of uh, tests, you know. Then another devotee has a different kind of test. So this is uh, one that we have, to, you know, have to be careful of and always be kind of remembering. Uh, Lord Chaitanya tells us, Trinada Pisunite, not to be humbler than the blade of grass, more tolerant than a tree. And then he acknowledges this in the next verse where he says, Nadhanam, Nadjanam, Nasundarim. Right? Kavitam va Jagadisha Kamaya. He says that I don't want uh, wealth, Tanam. I don't want followers, Janam. I don't want to be attracted to the opposite sex, Sundari. Uh, just. Uh, um, even indicates kind of indirectly that he doesn't even seek liberation because he says birth after birth 
The only thing I want is Mama Jamani Jamani Ishri. Bhavatad Bhaktir. Devotion. A Haituki. And what kind of devotion? A Haituki. Unmotivated, uninterrupted devotion. So there'll be, you know, it's just like <laughs> there'll be uh, so many distractions, uh, so many tests along the way. And all of those are there to help us advance. If, if there weren't any tests, then we'd just be kind of like on cruise control and just like, you know, strutting through our devotional careers. But the fact that there's challenges, the fact that there's difficulties, is in one sense a expression of a symptom that Krishna cares for us. And the root cause of uh, all, um, I mean, uh, root cause of uh, fall down in all such kind of distraction around is one major cause is, like you always say, Hridaya Dorbalyam. Is what? Hridaya Dorbalyam. Dorbalyam, yeah, there's, right? yeah. So, like, or pride, we sometimes say, pride all come the before six, the fall. Um, characteristics which were just discussed, I was uh, trying to just relate it to one of the major ones. Yeah. Why someone is not able to stay steady with whatever they make sankalp for or they want to do. They make big plans. I will be steady with my you know, services and then... I think pride is probably the, un in one sense, is the underpinning because if we take shelter of Krishna, then Krishna can take care of all these. And pride means, you know, putting our faith in ourselves rather than the, than, than the humility of taking shelter. Other thoughts? Yes, uh, get a microphone. Hare Krishna Prabhu. I'm thinking about the difference between like, how can we dis distinguish the two, that is, enthusiasm and a passion for something? Enthusiasm, what was the other word? Passion? passion? Uh, yes, because along the six, six stages of bhakti, I saw sometimes it is a passion for something. It's not a steady enthusiasm. Right. Uh, so... I think you just came up with the answer. You used, you used the word steady, right? So yes. our enthusiasm um, is often not steady at this, at this point in time in our devotional uh, advancement. Um, so the difference is that a thoughtful devotee, when he, when he or she sees that their enthusiasm is flickering, it comes and goes, will develop humility, right? Whereas if we're not thoughtful and we get carried away by our, especially those first two that we heard about, right? That kind of, yeah, I'm so, you know, you know, I, I, I'm so advanced already, right? Um, and we don't, re we don't recognize in that initial enthusiasm that we're not always enthusiastic and, and, uh, and we become proud of the times we are instead of humble for the times we're not. <laughs> um, and, of course, and of course, it's a different kind of enthusiasm as we become mature. You know, that kind of uh, immature enthusiasm. We, I think we all ex have experienced that in our lives sometimes. Right? Um, yeah. Does that make sense? I had, there was something else I wanted to say, I can't remember. 
me see. Because enthusiasm is one of the keys of devotional service. Utsaha, nishchaya, daryat. Enthusiasm, patience, confidence. Not in confidence in ourselves, confidence in Krishna. Um, following the regulated principles. What is it? Uh, following the, the previous acharyas. Uh, so there's six symptoms of, of, uh, that are favorable to bhakti and mentioned by Rupa Goswami in the uh, Nectar of Instruction, the Upadekshamrita. So enthusiasm is certainly important. Enthusiasm is important in any endeavor, right? Um, but it's just the maturing of that enthusiasm is what's wanted. Because here it gives the idea that like the, a child who's, uh, thinks that they've mastered something when they're really just at the beginning of it. Anything else on this? Yes, Andy. Yeah, we got time. I knew this one would take a little time, but I thought it would be interesting. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to thank you for highlighting the contrast between these two verses. I don't know if I read them that I would realize, mm -hmm. but I think it's very profound. And I think in all religions, there's always the aspiration of enlightenment. It's like the pinnacle. It's like the highest yeah. possible and most mystical, undefined thing that you can attain, right? But here we have the two verses side by side, and I think uh, Kardama Muni must have been extremely wise to see God face to face and know that he wasn't good enough to, he wasn't suited for enlightenment. So I, I think his wisdom yeah. is probably just as remote for most of us as enlightenment is. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I think and you said it right at the very end, so that knowing your own nature, so self-knowledge is the balance between these two verses. Yeah, self-knowledge, yes. Yeah. And other people can help you also. Yeah. And you can also say, well, you know, you're not as smart as you think you are. Self-knowledge <laughs> is the key. So if you're as smart as Cardamom Mooney, you would know whether you were having enthusiasm or passion. He's very mature. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who yes. could be that wise to see God face to face and know what they're going to do and not lose it no, completely <laughs> <laughs> exactly and of course there is there is the element of pastimes of Leela here because it just so happens that he desires to get married he marries Devahuti and they have Kapilade the incarnation of God as their son so there's also that sort of you know that sort of stuff going on just proving that he made the right choice he made the right yes he definitely made the right choice <laughs> yeah it wouldn't have made it into the page of the Bhagavatam if he hadn't done that yes yeah um, and I think we find this in 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 practitioners of all different kinds of faiths uh, the same kind of issues these six issues and the same kind of struggle with maturity and immaturity right um, find that in practitioner. I, I remember um, one time a devotee asked Richard Rohr, who's a Franciscan monk, very nice person, very wise person. Um, and he was asking about the training of priests because they're, they're basically brahmacharis, they're not married, right, and don't plan to get married. So he said, uh, until they're 30, very strict. And then after 30, you loosen the rope and give them freedom, right? So that idea of having a very kind of strict uh, upbringing in our early years in Krishna consciousness is good, 
Um, and then as we mature and don't need the external strictness to be to internalize that, then we have more freedom to uh, choose our services and choose make choice because we'll make the right choices based on that earlier training. Like that. So that was the idea of Gurukula. Gurukula, the child enters uh, the relationship with the spiritual master at five years old, and then by the time they graduate, um, the guru has instilled in the intelligence of the disciple the discerning abilities. So now the disciple can go out into the world and discern according to scriptures and according to what they've learned. So it's kind of transferred, so they become more independent based on that uh, training. Okay. Anything else? Okay, so then let's go back to the Bhagavatam. And, oops. And we are, uh, whoops, jeez. <laughs> Verse 18. Your wheel, which has three knaves, rotates around the axis of the imperishable Brahman. And there's 13 spokes, those are the months. So we have 12 months that they have also, because they follow uh, the Bhagavatam and Vedic scriptures, follow the lunar calendar rather than the solar one. Uh, there's an extra month sometimes called Purushottamas. Okay, so that's why it's 13. 360 joints, the days. Six rims, those are the different seasons. Right? <laughs> so in India you have you know, six seasons. And it's pretty funny because if you're, if you're sick and you go to a doctor, at least the ones that I, the doctors that I knew in Vrindavan, they would all just go, oh, no problem, change of season. Because the season's always changing. There's six of them. <laughs> they go, no, change of season. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Uh, <clears throat> and num and uh, numberless leaves carved in, upon them, upon it. Though its revolution cuts short the lifespan of the entire creation, this wheel of tremendous velocity cannot touch the lifespan of the devotees of the Lord. So we've talked about this before. The time factor marches on and doesn't, you can't do anything about it, at least in terms of this body. It has a beginning and an end. And all the vitamin C in the world, or vitamin E in the world or whatever can't uh, ultimately change that. Of course, we should take care of our health. That's, but, um, and, but what's also being kind of like paraphrased here is a verse in the second canto of the Bhagavatam, that Ayur Harati Vaipung Sangat says that with every rising and setting, the sun shortens the life of everyone, except one who, Uttama Shloka Gunana Varnam, one who is always thinking of and glorifying the Lord. So how is that? Because actually, even if we're really glorifying the Lord, our hair, our, our, we still get gray hairs, we still get triple and double chins. <laughs> Right? We still get all of that stuff. So what, what do you think it means when, it, when the scriptures here and also in the second canto are saying, yes? Hare Krishna. Because the realization changes that we are not this body, we are the eternal soul. So our identity is changing. Yeah, so it's not, it's short. And also, like, 
lightning followed by thunder. That's right, that's the process, lightning first. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so that, that's the example given for a devotee of leaving this world and then entering the spiritual world. It's mentioned in, I think, the Dhruva Maharaj Lila. So, so yes, yeah, so we actually, if we absorb ourselves to the extent that we can in hearing about Krishna, chanting about Krishna, uh, we are moving towards deathlessness. Not of this body, but eternal deathlessness. Anything else on this? Okay, text 19. My dear Lord, so now we're, uh, okay. You alone create the universes, O Supreme Personality of Godhead. Desiring to create these universes, you create them, maintain them, and again wind them up by your own energies, which are under the control of your second energy called Yogamaya, just as a spider creates a cobweb by its own energy and again winds it up. My dear Lord, although it is not your desire, you manifest this creation of gross and subtle elements just for our sensual satisfaction. Let your causes mercy be upon us, for you have appeared before us in your eternal form, adorned with a splendid wreath of tulasi leaves. In the first sentence or two of the purport, Prabhupada says, it is clearly stated here that the material world is not created by the personal will of the Supreme Lord. It is created by his external energy because the living entities wanted to enjoy it. This material world is not created for those who do not want to enjoy sense gratification, who constantly remain in transcendental loving service and who are eternally Krishna conscious. So this is important for a very fundamental reason, um, to understand how this world comes about and Krishna's relationship with it, because there is a tendency to um, blame God for bad things that happen in the world. If God loved us, why did and then fill in the blank happen? So here it is said, it is clearly stated that the material world is not created by the personal will of the Supreme Lord. Personal being the key word there. The will, certainly. Personal will. It is created by what? An energy of his. The external energy because the living entities want to enjoy it. So we can look at the external energy and remember who the source is. Um, but this is a very important theological point um, that the, you know, on one level, um, what's that verse? Goloka eva nivasat yakilatma bhuto. So Krishna is um, in Goloka Vrindavan dancing. That's his main job, full-time job, right? Rasa Vaisaha, that Krishna is rasa, he's loving relationships. And he gives all living entities free will. And the living entities, us, including everyone in this room, we chose to come to this place. You know, because uh, Krishna, Bhuli, Sejiv, Anadhir, Bahirmukh. We've turned our back on Krishna. We've turned our back on our relationship with Krishna. We chose to try to enjoy independently through our senses. 
And this world uh, is created by God. And, uh, you know, um, when, when Mahatma Gandhi said, uh, not a blade of grass uh, moves without the will of the Lord, and Srila Prabhupada would quote that. But that, that has to be understood properly as well. Because it's true. Because Parashya Shaktir Vividhaya Sute, from Krishna, from that cowherd boy uh, and lover of Radharani, comes so many different energies, including the material energy. But then Krishna doesn't directly dictate exactly how the material energy runs, because it's just, it's running primarily on our karma and our desires. Um, so it's not he is to blame because we chose to be here and then things happen uh, due to the mixture of the reactions and all the complexities of, of the material world and karma. And it is not so, so it's a subtle understanding to not blame God when terrible things happen in the world. It's more like a person who's really seeped in the scriptures has certainly compassion. Just like today, we're going to do a little fundraising for uh, the Puerto Rico temple because uh, it got, the, the roof got blew up, blown off by uh, the hurricane and we'll ask the devotees. So it's not that we just say, oh, that's Puerto Rico temple's karma, tough luck. Right? No, we, we have compassion. Um, yet we know, hey, you know, we're in this messy place, it's gonna be messy. It's, 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 it's certified messy. Dukalayam, Krishna says. It's uh, the alaya, the place of dukkha. Or asukam, he says. It's not the place of happiness. So that, this is not an easy thing to philosophically grasp. And it's even a harder thing when terrible things happen to us or to others. But it's a very important thing um, for making spiritual advancement. So some thoughts? Okay, well, I hope either, either that made a lot of sense or it didn't. <laughs> but it, it, it really is a key thing. So this sentence, it is clearly stated here that the material world is not created by the personal will of the Lord. It is created by his external energy. Why? Because we wanted it. Text 21, I continuously offer my respectful obeisances unto the lotus feet, unto your lotus feet, of which it is worthy to take shelter because you shower all benedictions on the insignificant. Um, so we're insignificant. I, don't, I, just want, I didn't want to give you that bad news so early in the morning, but we are uh, insignificant. All the big, big positions in the spiritual world are taken eternally. You can't become Radharani. You can't become, you know, one of, you know, uh, Sri Dham or, or Vishaka or, you know. Uh, there's no, um, there's nothing in USA Jobs uh, you can apply for. You can go to the spiritual world, sure. But the, but we, the, uh, <clears throat> we're insignificant. Uh, one time, Srila Prabhupada got a letter from a devotee, and it said, uh, please accept my most humble and insignificant obeisances at your lotus feet. Then the next sentence, I have a big problem. And Prabhupada started chuckling, and he said, 
said, if he's insignificant, how can he have a big problem? If he's insignificant, he can only have an insignificant problem. Of course, we know in our minds we make things really, some problems really, really big. So, and the, what's so amazing and so interesting is, um, like we have this verse that says, Gopi Bhattur Padakamalayora Dasa Dasa Das Anudas. That so we won't serve Radha and Krishna directly, we'll serve one of the servants of the servants of Radharani in the spiritual world, one of the Manjaris who's serving one of the Sakis. But the amazing thing about it is that the experience is direct. Or sometimes it's even said that it's even more intensified because it's going through uh, the hearts of all those wonderful devotees. So although it's, so devotees uh, can rejoice actually when they really understand in the proper way their insignificance. But we can also understand in a very practical way, right? You know, who's gonna remember us 150 years from now? Right? It's, you know, it's a, we don't remember people, you know, like, you know, <clears throat> famous people. It's just like, um, I remember this, this, now this is a few years ago now, but I remember somehow talking to someone about, I was talking about Krishna consciousness, and I mentioned George Harrison's name. And they said, who? I said, you know, the Beatles. Huh? Beatles? You know, it's like a younger person. Just, and in the 60s, you know, they were like the most, well known, you know, what is it, John, Paul, George, and Ringo were like the most common household names in the, in the world. So can you imagine that maybe 30 years from now people going, Trump, who's that? Oh, he was a president some time ago. Didn't like football players. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> you know, so, so we really are insignificant. But, our, but not in Krishna's eyes. Not in Krishna's eyes. In the Brihat Bhagavatamrita, when, when Gop Kumar finally returns back to Godhead, and uh, you've maybe seen the painting of Krishna embracing the cowherd boy. It's a very beautiful painting. And you know, I forget the exact words that Krishna says. Anyone remember? He says, you know, I've been waiting for this for a long time or something like that, you know, to reunite with that soul. So in Krishna's mind, we're not insignificant. Yes? Hare Krishna. So, actually, when you mentioned Gopakumar, means I was Mention reading Gopakumar's oh, uh -huh. meeting with Krishna and Krishna embracing. Uh, I was reading, uh, I forget the reference, but it was stated that uh, every one of us, every living entity has a special relationship with Krishna. Yeah. And they can give that, uh, you know, the pleasure to Krishna that other living entities cannot. So, everyone is special to Krishna. That's right. That's right, we're like uh, snowflakes. There's no two of us. <laughs> and then at the end of this purport, Prabhupada writes, the word kama, shar, uh, varsham, is very significant, for it indicates that he satisfies the desires of anyone who approaches him. But one who sincerely loves Krishna and yet wants material enjoyment is in perplexity. Anyone ever had that experience? You're, 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 putting, you're pressing on the gas and pressing on the brake at the same time. Or 
alternatively, at least. Krishna, being very kind toward him, gives him an opportunity to engage in the transcendental loving service of the Lord, so he gradually forgets the hallucination. So as much as it seems real and very enticing, sense enjoyment is, is here said, is called a hallucination. Have you ever experienced a hallucination? Anyone give an example? What's that? You use drugs? When people use, when you use, no. <laughs> when people use drugs. Right. Yeah, so uh, you said that when someone uses drugs, they can be, or in a dream. Go ahead. Yeah. So that's something that comes and goes, yeah, and we have no control over them. Mm -hmm. So that's hallucination. Yes, very good. Yes, Srila Prabhupada once said that because um, people were so into taking LSD in the, in the mid and late 60s, especially, and he was meeting those kind of people. And so in order to try to explain Krishna consciousness in a way that they could relate to, he said Krishna consciousness is like an ocean of LSD. <laughs> right, uh, or in the other, the other statement, I don't know if this came from him or one of his disciples, but you know, they made a flyer that stay high forever because they knew that, that you come down from the hallucination. Other examples of hallucinations? Hare Krishna, so this is uh, traveling, I was driving from Florida to DC. And after, as I was approaching Richmond area, one thing I started observing is, I'm still driving, but I was feeling that I'm stable and the road is running backward. But that was hallucination. That's definitely hallucination. And I was really thinking, once again, I was so tired, means I still remember. I was thinking the boats are still stable and suddenly they vanish. And the boats okay. are stable, they vanish, but the road is running backward. And I'm stable, so it's like related. How does he check his eyesight when you next time? Hare Krishna. Of course, the mirage is a hallucination. You've seen mirages? Yeah. Microphone. You always hear about the mirage, but you don't know how real it is, right? But then I used to go to Las Vegas. And you went stayed at the Mirage Hotel? No. No. Okay. But it's true because my wife and I like to walk. So we, you look and you, everything's clear and flat, right? And you say, let's walk over to that hotel over there. It's actually like two miles away, but you don't know it. And you keep walking and it doesn't get any closer. I mean, you're walking for like 20 minutes and it's like still over there. So you have the, the, the mirage that is right there, but it's not. Yeah, it's, I found that a lot with mountain climbing and things like that, yeah. that the peak looks like it's just there, but then you didn't realize there's like 10 miles of a valley between the two that you didn't see. Yeah. Phantasmagoria. Phantasmagoria. Similar, 
phantasmagoria, the, uh, the example in the Shastra is um, Akash Pushpa, the flower in the sky, is just a hallucination or phantasmagoria. Yes. <laughs> so what he's saying here is that basically, basically he's saying everyone's life except the life of a spiritualist is a hallucination. Because the very, you know, if you start, if you have this huge mathematical equation, but it begins one plus one equals three, the rest of it's going to be off. So if we think we're our bodies, right? So you just look at the, some of the struggles that America is going through right now in the front page of all the papers. It's all, so much of it is just the bodily concept of life. Isn't it? Isn't it? You know, racism and sexism and thisism and thatism. Uh, you know, it, you would imagine that our president would be very different if he was Samadarshina, right? If he saw every, uh, every living entity as equal. He'd have a very different kind of uh, leadership if someone was Samadarshina. So, we're, so, so pretty much everyone, and even us to some extent, are in a hallucination. So that's what the Vedic literature does. We kind of like, we're doing okay, and we're chanting our rounds a little bit, and, uh, and we read Prabhupada's books, and go, whoa, it's like a nice, fresh slap in the face. Right? That, yeah, I don't have, when was the last time I really meditated on not, that I'm not this body? When was the last time I really thought of Samadarshina? When was the last time I really thought that I'm supposed to be, you know, to teach by example of the, you know, the Greek Gita values? When was the last time I thought my exchanges with other people should have pretty affection? You know, these things. When, when was the last time I really was understanding I have to follow my dharma? That's why hearing reminds us, because the nature is to forget. Yes? Hare Krishna. So again, this illusion that we are talking about. I was reading uh, Vishakha Mataji's book, uh, Five Years, Eleven Months, and there she is basically identifying that Basically, LSD and all these drugs are there to dis, uh, fulfill some of the desires living entities have. We are anandamai by very nature. So, you know, and by creating these drugs, they are artificially trying to satisfy, but then the hankering of true love still remains. Yeah. So there's a void in our heart that cannot be fulfilled by the artificial means yep. of this material world. That's right. Hare Krishna. Good point. So now Maitreya is continuing, right? He's going to speak. And he says, Sincerely extolled in these words, Lord Vishnu shining very beautifully on the shoulders of Garuda, replied with words as sweet as nectar. So usually we think of nectar as something you drink, but these were nectar you can hear. His eyebrows moved gracefully as he looked at the sage with a smile full of affection. And Krishna said, Vishnu said, having come to know what was on your mind, I have already arranged for that by which you have worshipped me well through your mental and sensory discipline. In the last sentence or two, Prabhupada writes, the personality of Godhead knew the heart's desire of Kardamamuni. And he had already arranged for, for, for the fulfillment of his desires. He, Krishna, 
never disappoints a sincere devotee, regardless of what he wants, but he never allows anything which will be detrimental to the individual's devotional service. Confirmed. So here's a couple of things. Krishna knows our heart. That can be scary uh, or interesting. Krishna knows our heart. And then he doesn't like to disappoint a sincere devotee. Now, we, now this word sincere, um, there's probably, you know, I guess we could look at it on different levels, but maybe someone like Cardamuni is really sincere. And we're, we're a sincerity in progress. Right? That he never allows anything which will be detrimental to the individual's devotional service. Hmm? So, you know, Krishna, ultimately the point is Krishna is independent. Abhigya Swarat, just like this word Swaraj that became so famous with uh, Mahatma Gandhi. Independent, right? So Krishna is independent. Because right? even Srila Prabhupada once, uh, he was in, I think it was Hong Kong, it might have been the Philippines. And he was playing with like a toothpick that had like an umbrella on it. You ever seen those things? Right? And it snapped. And he just kind of laughed. And then he turned to a disciple and he said, my desire is that every living entity become Krishna conscious. So you can say, uh, that was obviously a sincere devotee, and he gives he gives Krishna gives whatever he wants. He never disappoints him, but he didn't make everyone you know. So Krishna is independent in his desire, and of course you know that's that's a devotee's desire, and Krishna makes arrangements. But certainly he empowered this one person with no money, no connections, to have this incredible impact on the world in just you know eleven years. Okay, text 24. The Lord continued, My dear Rishi, O leader of the living entities, for those who serve me in devotion by worshiping me, especially persons like you who have given up everything unto me, there is never any question of frustration. Purport. Even if one has the first few sentences, even if one has some desires, one engaged in the service of the Lord is never frustrated. So that's by the way, that's such an important point. Don't, let's not get too hung up about our material desires. Okay, we recognize them. They're there. We want to give them up. But the process for giving them up is the positive process of Krishna consciousness. Right? So the idea is, okay, I got these problems. I got these issues. Let me keep on chanting. You know, like what did the <laughs> Grateful Dead say? Keep on trucking. Keep on chanting. Keep on serving, keep on associating with devotees, just keep on, keep on keeping on <laughs> and, and fulfill your life with the positive and gradually Krishna will take care of the negative. Those engaged in his service are called sakama and akama. So this is, he's paraphrasing a, a verse in the second chapter, akama of the second canto of the Bhagavatam. Akama. Sarvakamova moksha kama udharadi chavyena bhakti yogena yajeta purushampuram. That whether you're full of material desires, that's sakama, or you're akama, no material desires, same instruction. Get absorbed in devotional service. Uh, 
And those, uh, those, devotees, those who approach this exalted Sakam, and those devotees who have no material desires for sense gratification, but serve the Supreme Lord out of spontaneous love for him, are called Akama. So whichever it is, just get absorbed in bhakti. And if you have any problems in this life or problems with following strictly, just get, you know, pick, pick ourselves up and get back into devotional service. There's no other process we have to do. <clears throat> okay? Anything on that? Text 26. What is What's that? 25? 25, you're right. The Emperor uh, Swayambhuva Manu, the son of Lord Brahma, who is well known for its righteous, his righteous acts, has his seat in Brahmavarta and rules over the earth with its seven oceans. The day after tomorrow, O Brahmana, that celebrated emperor who is expert in religious activities will come here with his queen, Satarupa, wishing to see you. He has a grown-up daughter whose eyes are black. Now, you know, it's funny because you have to understand the context of that because if you just said somebody has black eyes, in this context, that wouldn't seem very attractive. Right? But the idea of, you know, anyway, you get the idea. I, I, was just remember, I was just thinking that someone who wasn't familiar with the Bhagavatam or even Indian culture would think, really? She is ready for marriage, and she has good character and all good qualities. She is also searching for a good husband. My dear sir, her parents will come to see you who are exactly suitable for her um, just to deliver their daughter as your wife. So do you think it happened two days from now, from this? You think it happened? Yeah, it happened. Krishna says it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and the purport, Prabhupada writes, the selection of a good husband for a good girl is always entrusted to the parents. Now, you know, obviously that doesn't always happen, <laughs> um, even in India today, right? Uh, it used to be, I mean, when I lived in India, um, especially when I first got there in the 80s, uh, love marriages were much less, arranged marriages were much more so than love marriages, right? And today, I don't even know if they use the word love marriage as much because it's so common. You know, that, um, but the the... The principle, or a principle, is important. Extracting the practicalities, right? Um, just like my mother obviously didn't arrange my marriage because she, you know, she didn't know devotees and didn't, you know, <laughs> it was just not. Pra I did actually. My marriage was arranged, but that's by a, a devotee. But um, the point is that, in Prabhupada brings this up in the purport, directly and indirectly, that a person is a little more detached. Because when we, when we, you know, that love at first sight thing kicks in and the hormones start going and you, uh, what is it about hallucinations <laughs> that we read earlier? You know, you just get bamboozled. Um, the, the intelligence is, uh, is, is like So basically, you 
meditate on the objects of the senses and eventually buddhi nashat, no intelligence, right? And so any of us who've ever kind of been in love, we all know that it's like, duh. You know, you just can't think straight. So it's good to have someone who's a little more detached, who's really thinking about compatibility and, 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 and qualities and upbringings and all that sort of, to at least have input on such an important decision in one's life. So yes, culturally, in bygone times, especially as Prabhupada writes here, it was, in, it was entrusted to the parents. Um, less so, but still in some places, especially in India and especially in other cultures in the East, you find it. But uh, it seems to be gradually on the decline. But the idea of having someone else to help us guide us is, is a really good idea. Especially with, I don't know, I don't know the latest results, but is divorce in America hovering around the 50%? Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, for a long time. Yeah, and also in India now, uh, divorce is very common, whereas it was at one time considered almost taboo when I first moved there. Now it's very common because I dealt a lot with the legal system and um, <clears throat> working in the legal system there. So, any thoughts on this? If anyone wants me to arrange their marriage, let me know. I don't charge too much. <laughs> that princess, oh holy say, a big thing right now is people arranging, uh, getting together uh, via the internet. Right? I know a lot of people at work, I say, how do you meet? Oh, the internet. You're gonna say, a red one? Red microphone? Were you serious? Would you really arrange a marriage? No, no, no I'm not serious. <laughs> no. Is there divorces in devotees' communities? Yes. Not so many. At least not in this community. The different communities. Are. But it happens. As a matter of fact, Srila Prabhupada at one time was starting to arrange marriages. And then when devotees divorced or they didn't get along and they'd write him long letters, he just... He basically said he was disgusted with it and wouldn't deal with it anymore. I mean, he did it even though sannyasis naturally don't. He performed the first marriages, right? Um, and he said, this is, such, this is so unusual for a sannyasi to perform a wedding. But he did it for the benefit of the, uh, of the devotees. Hmm. Oh, that princess, oh holy sage, will be just the type you have been thinking of in your heart for all these long years. She will soon be yours and will serve you to your heart's content. Prabhupada writes, only by God's grace can one get a nice wife just as he desires. Similarly, it is only by God's grace that a girl gets a husband suitable to her heart. And he says also, in other words, in all circumstances, we must take shelter of the Supreme Personality of Godhead and depend completely on his decisions. Man proposes, God disposes. Any thoughts on marriage? Okay. Uh, she will bring forth, so this is, I mean, the whole, their whole life is planned out by Krishna's predictions here, right? Mm -hmm. She will bring, don't expect this, but you go to an astrologer. She will bring forth nine daughters from the seed sown in her by you. And through the daughters you beget, 
the sages will duly beget children. With your heart cleansed by properly carrying out my command, resigning to me the fruits of all your acts, you will finally attain me. Showing compassion to all living entities, you will attain self-realization. Giving assurance of safety to all, you will perceive your own self as well as all the universes in me and myself in you. And of course, you know, he mentions that, um, oh, yeah, the next verse mentions that he also, one of the offspring is gonna be the personality of Godhead. Um, Prabhupada writes in the purport second sentence, the first principle to be understood is that this world is a product of the supreme will. Okay, so remember we made that subtle distinction. It's a product of the supreme will, right? But the goings-ons are not his direct intervention, right? He didn't, yeah. There is an identity of this world with the supreme lord. This identity is accepted in a misconceived way by the impersonalists. They say that the supreme absolute truth transforming himself into the universe loses his separate existence. So they say one minus one equals zero. And we say one minus one equals one. That, that's, that uh, so many different things can emanate from Krishna, but he doesn't lose any of his potency or, his, or him, he, he himself when his energies are dispersed in that way. The difference between the impersonalist and the personalist is that the impersonalist does not accept the separate existence of the Lord, but the personalist accepts the Lord. He understands that although he distributes himself in so many ways, he has his separate personal existence. Very important distinction. Um, in Bhagavad Gita, there's that verse that says he is always a person. I forget, was that chapter seven? I can't remember. You know, he's the youngest, he's the oldest, he's this, he's this, and the last sentence, the last part is, and he's always a person. A little later, uh, this energy can be utilized for real self-interest if one is compassionate. Oh, so, yeah. A person in Krishna consciousness, a devotee of the Lord, is always compassionate. He is not satisfied that only he himself is a devotee, and he tries to distribute the knowledge of devotional service to everyone. There are many devotees of the Lord who face many risks in distributing the devotional service of the Lord to people in general. That should be done. It is also said that a person who goes to the temple of the Lord, so, um, so how can we practice? We can practice even in simple ways. You know, keep some copies of Bhagavad Gita or other books in your car, you meet someone nice and give them a, a, a Bhagavad Gita. Um, you're at work and okay, maybe, maybe it's not the right atmosphere where you can give everyone a Bhagavad Gita for Christmas, but you can give them prasadam, right? That's, that's, you can give them, give them prasadam and that's a huge benefit for them. So somehow finding ways to give prasad. Um, when I would go to Delhi, and there were so many of these people on these street corners, you know, uh, begging for rupees. Uh, I always brought with me some prasadam. And instead of giving them money, because who knows, there's a whole terrible business behind those people. And there's like pimps who are taking all their money, but most of the money that they collect and all this terrible thing. But you give them prasadam. And they get 
they get benefited. So that's, you know, if we, if we um, aren't, you know, if we can give people Srila Prabhupada's books, that's wonderful if we can give them Prashant. But this somehow or other, it, it's really helpful to just be in a compassionate mood. Even if you can't be a kind of, you know, the, the fortunate, really fortunate devotees whose full-time service is giving Krishna consciousness to others. Um, we can still find ways and means um, to, to help others. Be creative in that. Otherwise, in the next verse, in the next sentence, it is also said that a person who goes to the temple of the Lord and worships with great devotion, but who does not show sympathy to people in general or show respect to other devotees is considered a third-class devotee. So that's good. There's nothing wrong with going, worshiping the, the uh, seeing Krishna there. But a higher realization is seeing Krishna in other people's hearts. And then understanding that they are in a conditioned state, giving them a chance to hear about Krishna. Just like today, Henry, uh, Henry um, and I were um, spending some time a few weeks ago in the hospital, and we went, met this one nurse there who, um, what? Ruby. Ruby is her name. Yes, I got a text from her today. Oh, yeah. And so um, we were preaching to Ruby and told her about the temple. And, uh, and so she, uh, she said, I, I, I get off at work at 8 o'clock tonight. Is that too late to come to the temple? And I said, yeah, it's a little late. I said, but, we're having, uh, but are you working next Saturday? And she said, no. I said, well, we're having Dasera next Saturday, so please come to that. And she said, I'll be there. So, you know, you just find the ways uh, to uh, give people Krishna consciousness, somehow or other. And that, so just being in that mood um, of trying to find ways makes us a second-class devotee, a madhyama bhakta. And that, then it, it's good to hear and chant regularly because then we experience the gift that we've been given. And the more that we experience the gift of Krishna consciousness, naturally the more we want to give that gift to others. The most natural thing in the world should be that by attending a class like this and hearing all the jewels in the Shastra to, to want to give those jewels to other people. It's just, it's not, it's like, it's just natural. If you had the cure for uh, Alzheimer's, wouldn't you be like running around to every, you know, trying to find some way to get people to hear you and, and give them that cure? So this is a greater cure. It stops not only old age and death, it stops birth and disease and everything stops, you know, that cycle. Any thoughts on this? To award, one last, the one sentence, to award Fearful, fearlessness to the common man is the greatest act of charity. Isn't that an interesting? And what is fearlessness? It means shelter of Krishna, right? And it's such, oh, so wonderful that Srila Prabhupada's parents gave him the name Abai Sharan. And then his spiritual master just added the end of it, Abai Charanaravinda. So one who, at whose feet one is uh, fearless. So that's a way, that's the greatest charity, is to give people fearlessness. Because the world is a fearful place. And the only way to become fearless is to feel that shelter of Krishna. Those lotus feet kind of on our head, you know, 
that shelter of Krishna. So that's such a nice sentence. To award fearlessness to the common man is the greatest act of charity. So again, just like, a, so today we're going to ask for some charity for the devotees in Puerto Rico because the temple got pretty much semi-destroyed in the hurricane. So that is a way to help them go out and um, make other people fear less. We might also, um, no, I think we're going to focus on Puerto Rico this week, but uh, another time, because I got a message from the devotees in Mexico City, the temple in Mexico City was not harmed and all the devotees are safe. But what they're doing is they're going out every day to four different locations and making big, huge vats of prashadam, like kitri, and distributing thousands of plates of kitri to people who have no food. You know, they just, their, their houses just got... I don't know if you've seen some of the pictures of the earthquake in Mexico City, so just like crumbled to the ground. It reminded me of that earthquake in Gujarat some years ago. We just... It's such so much destruction. Okay, we got time for a few more minutes, a few more verses. Text 32. Oh, great sage, I shall manifest my own. Okay, so here is his, the, this is where Cardama really gets excited, right? Because he says, Oh, great sage, I shall manifest my own plenary portion through your wife Devahuti, along with your nine daughters, and I shall instruct her in the system of philosophy that deals with the ultimate principles or categories. Maitreya went on. So now Maitreya, so that was Krishna speaking to Kardama. Kardama. And Maitreya is ex explaining this discussion to Vidura. Okay, so, the, so Maitreya tells Vidura, Thus having spoken to Kardama Muni, the Lord who reveals himself only when the senses are in Krishna consciousness departed from that lake called Bindu Sarovara, <coughs> which was encircled by the river Saraswati. And at the very end of the purport, Prabhupada writes, and how is it possible that he can be seen and understood? When one is trained in devotional service and renders service unto him, gradually one's senses are purified of material contamination. When one's senses are thus purified, then one can see, one can understand, one can hear, and so on. The purification of the material senses and perception of the transcendental form, name, and quality of Krishna are combined together in one word, pratyag aksaja, which is used here. So we, you know, it's not either see Krishna or not see Krishna, but our senses become gradually purified. We talked about this last week, how the body is like all made of senses, and when we, and to the extent that we use those senses to glorify Krishna, they become purified. Okay? TK? All right, so continuing. While the sage uh, stood looking on, the Lord left by the pathway leading to Vaikuntha, a path extolled by all great liberated souls. The sage stood listening as the hymns forming the basis of the Samaveta were vibrated by the flapping wings of the Lord's carrier Garuda. Now, how cool is that? That Garuda's flapping wings were the Samaveta. <laughs> That's not your ordinary bird. <laughs> it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Garuda. Then after the departure of the Lord, the worshipful sage Kardama stayed on the bank of Bindusarovra, awaiting the time of which the Lord had spoken. 
Meanwhile, back at the uh, kingdom, <laughs> Swayambhuvamanu with his wife mounted his chariot, which was decorated with golden ornaments. Placing his daughter on it with them, he began traveling all over the earth. O Vidura, they reached the hermitage of the sage who had just completed his vows of austerity on the very day foretold by the Lord. The holy lake Bindusarovara, flooded with the waters of the river Saraswati, was resorted to by hosts of eminent sages. Its holy water was not only auspicious, but as sweet as nectar. It is called Bindusarovara because drops of tears had fallen there from the eyes of the Lord, who was overwhelmed by extreme compassion for the sage who had sought his protection. The shore of the lake was surrounded by clusters of pious trees and creepers, rich in fruits and flowers of all seasons, that had afforded shelter to pious animals and birds, which uttered various cries. It was adorned by the beauty of groves of forest trees. The area resounded with the notes of overjoyed birds. Intoxicated bees wandered there. Intoxicated peacocks proudly danced. And merry cuckoos called one another. How many of you have seen peacocks dance? They're, yeah, they do this whole thing. Lake Bindusarovara was adorned by the Jai Sisigornitai Sitaram Lakshman Hanuman Shishi Radhamadamohan. Lake Bindusarovara was adorned by flowering trees such as the Kadamba, Champaka, Ashok, uh, Karanja, Bakula, Asana, Kunda, Mandhara, Kutaja, and young mango trees. The air was filled with the pleasing notes of Karandava ducks, plavas, whatever they are, swans, ospreys, waterfowl, cranes, chakravakas, and chakoras. Not pakoras, chakoras. Its shores abound with deer, boars, porcupines, uh, gavayas, elephants, baboons, lions, monkeys, mongoose, and musk deer. Uh, entering that most sacred spot with his daughter and going near the sage, the first monarch, Swayambhuvamanu, saw the sage sitting in his heritage, having just propitiated the sacred fire by pouring oblations unto it. His body shone most brilliantly. Though he was engaged in austere penance for a long time, he was not emaciated. For the Lord had cast his affectionate sidelong glance upon him, and he had also heard the nectar flowing from the moon-like words of the Lord. The sage was tall, his eyes were large like the petals of a lotus, and he had matted locks on his head. He was clad in rags. Swayambhuvamanu approached him and saw him to be somewhat soiled like an unpolished gem. So he was, you know, he was effulgent, but he was living, you know, austere cloth. And Prabhupada writes in the first sentence, here are some descriptions of a brahmachari yogi. So it's kind of a joke in Iskand. One time, Srila Prabhupada was just joking, and he said, you know, Brahmachari, you know, those are the young men who are not married. You see them in the saffron cloth and shaved heads. And um, they're infamous for not keeping their, where they live very clean. <laughs> so he one time said, Brahmachari means dirty. <laughs> Although here, uh, it was only his cloths that were dirty. A matter of fact, it's also interesting in Vrindavan, um, because... Uh, a lot of the sadhus there, the sadhus wearing white there, um, don't have, you know, they, they wash their cloth on the bank of the Jamuna. Um, and 
such, and they don't have, you know, they, they wear their cloths for a long time. And so it's, it was a, a kind of a joke in Vrindavan for just years or even decades, because we also, the, the Iskand devotees wear white also, right? And so the joke was you can tell an Iskand devotee about 10 miles away, right? Because their clothes are so white, you know, where, where the others are, are much more of like a, you know, um, off-white colors. Just like, you know, Mormons, right? You can tell those, one of those, those young Mormon guys that go in pairs, you can see them a mile away, right? <laughs> you know, okay, those are the Mormons, right? Because they're always wearing a white shirt and dark pants. <laughs> so you can also, in Vrindavan, you can tell the Grihastas, the uh, devotees wearing white in Iskand a mile away. If you're on the bank of the Jamuna and there's sadhus there and also Iskand devotees, you can say, oh, okay. So let's continue. We're on a roll, We're, and we have two more minutes. 48. Seeing that the monarch had come to his heritage and was bowing down before him, the sage greeted him with benediction and received him with due honor. So such respect for the sadhu. After receiving the sage's attention, the king sat down and was silent. Recalling the instructions of the Lord, Kardama then spoke to the king as follows, delighting him with his sweet accents. The tone... The tour you have undertaken, O Lord, is surely intended to project the virtuous, protect the virtuous and kill the demons, since you embody the protection, protecting energy of Sri Hari. Prabhupada in the purport talks about the duties of the heads of state, heads of state to really deal um, forcefully with people who are causing a disturbance. Um, but he says that things are topsy-turvy now, and they, they often will kill innocent people, right, and still let the miscreants run free. You assume, when necessary, the part of the sun god, the moon god, Agni, the god of fire, Indra, the lord of paradise, Vayu, the wind god, Yama, the god of punishment, Dharma, the god of piety, and Varuna, the god presiding over the waters. All obeisances to you who are none other than Lord Vishnu. So not that he's literally worshipped, but the king is respected as such. And also, I don't know if this is playing on here, but he also knows he's going to be his future father-in-law. Right? So, you know, you, the idea, if you want to be smart, be nice to your in-laws. Right? That's, isn't it a wise thing to do? Especially mothers-in-law. They're the worst. Uh, no offense. That's the, that's the tradition, especially in India, right? Where the mother-in-law is like telling the daughter-in-law, no, 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 my son doesn't like when you do like, you know, better you do like this. I've, I've known him 25 years more than you. No, he likes this. If you did not mount your victorious jeweled chariot, whose mere presence threatens culprits, if you did not produce fierce sounds by the twanging of your bow, and if you did not roam about the world like the brilliant sun leading a huge army whose trampling feet cause the globe of the earth to tremble, then all the moral laws governing the varnas and ashrams created by the Lord himself would be broken by the rogues and rascals. If you gave up all thought of the world's situation, unrighteous world, unrighteous would flourish, for men who hanker only after money would be unopposed. Such miscreants would attack and the world would perish. And finally, in spite of all this, I ask you, O valiant king, the purpose for which you have come here. 
Whatever it may be, we shall carry it out without reservation. So he knows why he got there, right? He knows already. He knows exactly why he's there. But still, out of etiquette, he asks him. Okay, so the plan is uh, there is class next week. And then the next two weeks after that, I'll be in India. So there won't be class. Okay, so we're a little one minute over time. Uh, so thank you, Hare Krishna.